It is, uh, it is Christmas. It is a crazy time. And, uh, you know, Christmas is, wow, Christmas is kind of a funny time, isn't it? It can be a great time, but it can also be this kind of awkward time. I don't know if you ever experienced that. So you get to Christmas and then people that perhaps you haven't seen for maybe 12 months will show up at your house. You may not know them very well, but they're going to eat all of your food. You're going to feed them. Some of them will fall asleep on your couch. Some of them are probably going to have a little bit too much to drink and maybe over-celebrate, maybe stay the night. I don't know. I hope that doesn't happen to you, but they will probably do it. And to be honest, you know, in this day and age, there's all kinds of complications that happen. You know, if you're from a, uh, if you're from a family where there's maybe even a divorce in the family, you know, then there's got to be, there's two sides. And I don't know, like my wife and I, we see my wife's side one year and, and my side of the family on the other side of the, uh, you know, every two years. I can never keep up with it. I have no idea. It's like every year it's a surprise to me. And I say, what are we doing this year? It's not like I have one thing to remember. I cannot even remember that. But if you're from a family where things got a little bit complicated, you know, maybe it's, you know, you want to see your mom and your dad and then your mom has a new boyfriend or your dad has a girlfriend. You want to sort of get everyone together and maybe not seat them together, but maybe get them together. And it's just, you know, to be honest, Christmas, Christmas can be kind of really awkward. There's going to be a lot of cooking. There's going to be a lot of presents given. And then uh, you're going to eat those leftovers for probably the next seven days. You will eat too much. You will probably, I want to let you know right now, you're probably going to put on some weight. You're probably going to put on some weight the week after Christmas. You're going to have a, a really good shot at that on Christmas Day, but you're probably going to put on some weight straight after Christmas. Now, in seven days from Christmas Day, you will promise yourself that next year is the year that you will get fit. And that journal that someone gave you for Christmas, you will probably even fill that in for at least the first week. You say, this year I'm going to use that journal. I'm going to fill it in. I'm going to keep track of things. I've got a diary, a manual diary. I promise this year will be the year that I, what, lose weight? And use my journal. And you won't even do it. You will, you will say to yourself that you will, but, you know, hey, look, it's Christmas. And that's just, it's just kind of what Christmas is. It's kind of, you know, this is how we celebrate Christmas in some ways. And I've learned, you know, over, even over my lifetime that, you know, to be honest, Christmas means different things to different people. Uh, I, I spoke to my kids recently, and uh, my son Isaac, he's three years old. And I said to Isaac, hey, can you tell me what uh, Christmas is about? And what did he say? What did he say? Yeah, he said presents. Exactly. Uh, so I asked uh, Isaac, he said that Christmas is all about presents. He loves getting presents. He's even trying to unwrap other people's presents uh, under the tree this morning. He found some new ones and wanted to unwrap them. And it was kind of funny. That's how kids think about Christmas often. But do you know what I've discovered? It's that adults, they think about Christmas differently. If you ask an adult what Christmas is about, you know what a lot of people in our you know, culture or society say? Say it's about family. It's about getting together. Christmas is all about loving one another. It's about food. It's about having something to drink. And you know, the thing that I've discovered is that both parents and kids can be wrong. Because actually Christmas is not about presents. We understand that. And Christmas is not about getting together as a family. I know it sounds good, but Christmas is actually about the gospel. It's about good news. And I want to give you the good news so you know what it is. The good news is that Jesus came to save the world. And the reason why we're all here today is we're celebrating Jesus' birth. We're here to celebrate the fact that there is good news on the earth today. That God sent His one, His only Son who came. And in fact, can I tell you that for many, many, many years, the world... 
For thousands of years, the world was waiting for a time when Jesus would come. They didn't know what it would be like when he got there. And there were people that would write about the coming of this guy. They called him the Messiah. They didn't know he'd be named Jesus. They called him the Messiah. They called him the Holy One. They called him the Anointed One. You know, the one that Israel you know, had been waiting for. And that you know, the whole world was waiting for this time when Jesus would come and eventually show up. And so there were these people that would write about him. God would come and speak to some of these people and they'd write about him in advance. You know what we call those people? We call those people prophets. If you don't know what the word prophet means, it simply means here is a guy that gets information before it happens. And so he would write down all this stuff about the coming Messiah. I just thought, you know, since it's Christmas, that maybe we could take a little look at that today. So I'm just going to skip straight to it. And this is one of the passages of Scripture that was written about Jesus a long, long time, hundreds of years before Jesus even came. And, and this is what it says. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Many of you didn't know that maybe Jesus is a counselor. You know, the, the fact is, is that in, our, in this day, in this age, in our society, that we have so many people that struggle with depression, thoughts of suicide, all kinds of things. Many of you may not even realize this, but actually, but Jesus, he's a counselor. He's the great counselor. If you've got stuff that's going on in your life, you don't have to keep it from Jesus. He would actually love to know about what's going on in your life so he could come and actually counsel you. He would be called the great counselor. In fact, did you know that there's actually over 250 names given to Jesus? But it was like one name couldn't possibly contain the meaning of him alone. So they gave him all these other names. And here are some of them. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. That's pretty clear saying that Jesus was God. It says that he's everlasting father and prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isn't that interesting that as his government expands, when we say government, I mean he has a way of doing things. And as that begins to expand in your life, isn't it interesting that there will be no end to the peace? As his government increases in your life, so will the peace increase in your life. And it says, of the increase of this government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness... From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's written hundreds of years before Jesus came. I'll show you another one. The sign of Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel. The word, the name Emmanuel, it actually means God with us. You've got to understand that for thousands of years, the world was waiting for a time when God would be with us. Now, it's like they, they knew He was coming. They, they didn't really know how it was going to happen. They just knew it was going to happen. And so there was all these people that were trying to figure out what it would be like when He comes. Different people had different, maybe preconceived ideas about what it would be like when Jesus finally came. But they didn't know how it was going to happen. So people were trying to figure that out for a long time. Years later, people would write about how it actually happened. You've got to understand that the time that we live in now, it's actually since Christ has been on the earth. So for a long time, people were looking forward to it. 
What will it be like when He comes? But we live in a time right now after that, after the fact, we know what happened. Why? Because we can read about it. There were these guys that would write about what happened and what it was like when Emmanuel came, when God literally came. They wrote about it. If you look into your Bible, if you have a Bible, if you don't, no problem. But if you do, you would understand that it's divided into two pretty big sections. One's called the, the, the Old Testament and the other side is called the, the New Testament. Actually, by the way, just so you know, if that word eludes you, a, a, a testament actually means covenant. And a covenant is like an agreement between us and God. And so there was this old agreement between us where we said, hey, listen, if you just leave everything to us, God, we reckon we can nail this thing called life. You know what? The only problem is it didn't really work. So God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new agreement. So that's called the New Testament. And if you go straight in your Bible and you were to look at the New Testament, there are four books written immediately as you turn to your right. What do we call those? They're called the, they're called the Gospels. And if you look at the Gospels, there are different accounts of Jesus' life. Actually, three of them record what it was like when He came. One is written by this guy named Mark, and he wrote the businessman's gospel. If you don't have a lot of time, you can just read that one. It just you kind of get through it a whole heap quicker. So if you're short for time, maybe just read Mark. But there's these other three gospels, Matthew and Luke and John, and they write about what it was like when Jesus actually came. So you know what I thought I'd do? I thought, well, you know, it's Christmas. Why don't we actually look at what it was like when Jesus came? And so what I've done today is we're going to look at those three Gospels. I'm going to sort of put them together so we can sort of form a bit of a picture about what it was like when Jesus came. The first Gospel was written by Matthew. You probably already knew that. And Matthew, Matthew writes and he begins with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, because I don't hate you, I'm not going to read all the names because it goes for a really long time. And I don't want you to leave either. I would love for you to stick around for the end. There's going to be singing later. It's going to get a whole heap better. So, so stick around. But I, I'm not going to read out to you all the names. But this is where Matthew begins. Do you know why he begins here? Because the truth is, is that names were really important. In fact, did you know that if you were Jewish, they would trace your heritage. And if they couldn't trace it, you were not legitimate to become a priest as a Jew, you weren't able to do that. They would love to know where you came from. Names to the Jewish community, to the Jewish people, to the people of Israel. Wow, they were so important. You know what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't really care about where you came from. Jesus doesn't really care about what's in your past, what's in your background, what's in your history. He can deal with all of that. See, you don't have to come along and impress Him with your heritage your pedigree, whatever it is, doesn't matter what background you were born into. It doesn't matter what your family was like. It doesn't matter what your great, great granddaddy did. It doesn't matter what your mom and dad did. It doesn't matter how you got to be here. The point is, is that Jesus doesn't respect you because of your name. Jesus loves you just because of who you are. And this was actually just something that maybe some of the religious people really cared about. Oh man, they really cared about it. In fact, did you know that there was a, uh, you would have heard, put your hands up if you've heard of this guy called Herod the Great. Put your hands up if you've heard of Herod, King Herod. Okay, so King Herod was a person at the time of Jesus who basically ruled part of the region. 
And so King Herod, he was uh, actually half Jew and he was so embarrassed about it that he actually destroyed a lot of the records of genealogy so that no one could trace where anyone could come from. He didn't want anyone to know that he was actually half a Jew. He was half Jew, half Edomite. Oh, how embarrassing. I know. Can you believe it? You know, so so he decided I'm going to destroy everything so that no one will know where I came from and what I did. And so we're looking at this genealogy. He begins to write, it says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. You remember David and Goliath swings a stone, hits the giant. You heard of that? Okay, so that's David. And it says that he was the son of Abraham. And it goes on, it begins to give all these different names. You know what? I don't want to talk about all the names that are in these next few slides because to be honest, well, I mean, we would be here all day. But what I will do is I'm going to look and draw your attention to just five names. Just five names. That's all I want you to see. I've even taken liberty of highlighting these names for you so you you could find them really easily. So you can see that there's Judah. That's a great name, Judah. That is a fantastic name. Someone should name their kid Judah. I I did that. Uh, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by... Now there's a name right next to that. It's the first name highlighted in yellow is Tamar. That means nothing to you, but actually it's going to mean something in just a moment. Tamar. See, Tamar, that was actually a woman. It's not a man's name. That's a, that's a woman's name. I know it doesn't probably mean much to you, but it will in a moment. And actually, Tamar, she had a, a whole bunch of issues in her life. In fact, she was an adulteress. And, and you know, oh my gosh. And then I want to draw your name to the Draw your attention to the next name. If you skip down, there's another name that I highlighted there. It's this name of this person called Rahab. She was another woman. And, and do you know what? She was, a, she was a prostitute. Oh my gosh. How, I mean, how embarrassing for God. I wonder if he knew that the people that would be in the line of his one and only son, Jesus, I wonder if he knew that they had all these you know, problems. What if he knew about that? Because that would be so embarrassing for Jesus to find out that his grandparents were mixed up in some stuff that they shouldn't have been. There was this other woman named Ruth. Ruth, she wasn't even Jewish. She was a Moabite. We'll go to the next one. And David, was he fathered this guy called Solomon. You probably heard of him as a very wise man. A lot of people know about Solomon. And then it doesn't even say what Solomon's mom's name was. Do you know how they refer to her? They refer to her as the wife of Uriah. Do you know why? Because actually David, he killed, her name is Bathsheba. He killed Bathsheba's husband and then took Bathsheba to be his wife. Isn't it kind of funny that years later when they record it, they don't record her as being David's wife. They actually record her as being Uriah's wife, just to kind of maybe point out to us that God looked at that and maybe didn't really agree with it. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of names right here and we skip straight to Mary, uh, of whom Jesus was born. And the thing is that there's five names and they're all women. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to you, but I just want to explain something to you. When you were recording the genealogy and, and looking back through the lines in your family, you didn't record women's name. Now, I know, like, don't hate me. I mean, I didn't invent it. That's what, something that they did, but I'm not even saying I agree with it, but it's just something that they did back then. And so they would have the five Nay, these five women that were, that were in the line of Jesus. Did you know that Jewish men would wake up in the morning and they would pray and they would pray this prayer. Dear God, I thank you that I am not a slave. Yeah, I can understand that. I don't want to be a slave either. 
Dear God, I thank you that I'm not a slave. I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. What's a Gentile? Well, you had the Jewish people and then everyone else was a Gentile. So they say, thank God, they, they were really proud to be you know, Jewish. So, so what did they say? Oh, thank God that I'm not a slave. Thank God that I'm not a Gentile. And thank God I am not a woman. How do you feel about that? It felt wrong even coming out. Actually, can, can I tell you the truth? <laughs> it's that I'm really glad I'm not a woman either because I've seen three, all three of my children born. And I thank God I'm not a woman. <laughs> I've been to that show three times and not once did I say, this is so beautiful. I wish this was something I could do. I have never felt like that. I was like, thank God I'm not a woman. But I think maybe we felt differently about it. They didn't thank God that they were not a woman for maybe different reasons to what I did. But this is the thing that they would say. And so you've got Tamar. You've got, she's an adulteress. Oh my gosh, so embarrassing for Jesus. And then you have... Well, you've got uh, Rahab, she's a prostitute. Then you've got this uh, uh, Moabite, uh, Ruth, and, and all these people with these issues that are in the line of, of Jesus. Do you think that God maybe could have planned that a little bit better? I mean, isn't He kind of so holy? Like if, if, if He's so far removed from sin, could they have not picked a better family, maybe with a little less baggage, maybe a little less hang-ups, a little less adultery, maybe a little less prostitution? You know, you'd, surely there was a whole heap of people to pick from. Isn't it kind of interesting that, you know, even though the people would look at these things and say, oh, all these things are terrible. The truth is, is that God picked this family he picked them to be a part of this incredible story. Can I tell you something about all the people that were up there, but including the women that were included in this story? Every single one of them had issues going on in their life. Ah, so did all the men, but here are these women that are specifically listed. They were all sinners, I guess in the sense that, you know, can we just sort of say that sin is not about doing something that's morally wrong. It's about just not living your life the way that God really wants you to. So they're all sinners, but can I tell you something about these women that are listed in this? They, they're all loved. They're all loved by God. They were all loved by, by Him. And so this is one of the things that I love most about God is that He knows what is going on in people's past. He's aware of that. One of the things I love about God is that He's prepared to deal with it. I love that God takes people and whatever is going on in their past, He gives them a new future. I love that one of the things that's so good about God is that He rescues people and includes them in the greatest story that, to be honest, the world has ever heard. It's an incredible story and He includes them and not in some peripheral way, way on the outside. Well, you've got some issues, so we'll include you, but you need to stick way over there. He says, no, I'm going to include you in such an intimate way that actually your family, that from this bloodline will come the Saviour of the world. If you, I've got to tell you this morning, that, to be honest, God, He is not afraid of sin. He's not afraid of the things that you've probably done in your life and maybe some things that you've done which is wrong. You know, the truth is, if you sit down and talk to people, most people don't think that they're perfect. I don't know anyone that really thinks that. I want you to know that Jesus... Jesus doesn't care about any of those things that have been going on in your past. He's not afraid of sin. If you come back at Easter... I'll tell you what he did with it. I want to talk about that today. If you come back at Easter, I'll tell you how he fixed the problem of sin and separation, keeping you and God apart. But this is just about why Jesus came. 
Now, Luke picks up the story from here and uh, Luke records how it actually happened. So he gives us a little more detail. So if we can just, just bear with me, let's look at this for a moment. It says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this was. All right, so let me lay it down for you. She's trying to figure out what kind of greeting this was because either she's going to die or she's going to be blessed. So when the angel shows up, she's like, it is, you know, it is so good to see you, Gabriel. And why have you come? Are you going to kill me? Is that what this is about? She's trying to figure out what is with this greeting. And he goes on and he speaks to her and he, he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Do you know, can I tell you right now, she didn't find favor with God because she was this perfect person. She found favor with God because God chose her to find favor with her. That's kind of how it works. And it says, And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's kind of like that scripture that we read before of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It says of his kingdom, there will be no end. It goes on to say, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Good question, Mary. You know, if you were a virgin and the angel said, you're going to have a baby, I think a great follow-up question is, well, how is that going to happen? I mean, I've read the Where Do I Come From book. I know how these things work. How are you going to get the baby in there? And so the angel answers her and he says, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. He was John the Baptist. You might have heard of him as well. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren because she couldn't have kids. And then suddenly she did. Why? Because nothing is impossible or will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her how is this going to be how is it possibly going to be how am I going to have a baby I don't know if you understand but I'm a virgin and I I mean I don't know how I'm going to actually go ahead and 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 have that child and and the angel speaks to her and you're really not wanting to explain all the details because probably because it's going to be really hard to explain to her he simply turns and says well how can I put this uh You're not going to get it no matter what I say. So how about this? The power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. How's that? She's like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes a whole lot of sense, actually. Oh, maybe she just didn't get it, but that's how he kind of explains it to her. And, you know, the thing that we're talking about, that God would come and put a baby inside a woman's womb. I mean, this is a miracle. I mean, this is, this is incredible. I don't know if you've grown up with the stories and it's just sort of maybe lost, you know, some of its potency. But look, let me tell you, this is an absolute miracle that's happening right here in this part of the story. And maybe some of you are sitting here today and you think, is that even possible? 
I mean, is it even possible? Do miracles still even happen? You know, what's amazing to me is how people can miss that God exists when they struggle to believe that miracles are at work in the world, even today. Do you know my grandfather in 2007, uh, you know, he uh, started to fall ill. And when I grew up, the house that I grew up in, we talk about God maybe inside my home, but we didn't speak about God with my grandparents. And I I remember never having a conversation with him about it, but now he was getting sick and I decided it would be a good time for me to talk to him about, about Jesus. And so one night I decided to visit him in hospital and I came and I said to my grandpa, I said, Grandpa, I don't know what you think about God. I don't know what you think about all of this stuff, but I feel like we should probably have a conversation around it. What do you think about the Bible? What do you think about God? Talk to me. Tell me. My grandfather looked and he said to me, and it was as if the first time ever the conversation was open. It's it's kind of funny how when people are close to death that they suddenly are willing to talk about eternity. And so he began to speak to me. He said, Ben, the problem that I have is I do not understand how God could lead Israel out of Egypt, take them and lead them to this place where the Red Sea was and then begin to part the ocean and lead Israel through it. I mean, that is pretty incredible. The fact that he could actually part the ocean, you know, I don't really know about that. I was thinking about what response to give my grandfather. And this is what I came up with. I said, hey, I said, Grandpa, I said, just go with me for one minute. If God created the universe, if God created the universe and stars and the sun and everything, if He created all of that, can I suggest to you today that actually parting the ocean is relatively simple for Him? I mean, since He made it, if He, if he was able to create it and make it from nothing, actually parting the ocean is not very much trouble for Him. He looked at me and he says, I suppose you're right. 70 years or whatever, you know, however many in his 70s, can't remember, but all this time. And he says to me, I suppose you're right. I said, well, if you suppose I'm right, do you think it's possible that Jesus actually came and and, and was on the earth and, and he was here too? And he says, yes, I suppose now that I understand if God, if God exists and miracles are possible, I suppose that is completely possible. I said, and if you think that that's possible, Grandpa, would you be willing to give your life to Jesus today? He says, yes, I would be willing to give my life to Jesus today. He goes, I don't know how to do that. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I know exactly how to do it. Why don't I say a prayer and you just repeat it after me? He says, okay, let's do this. You know, a couple years later, um, I spoke to him and I said, Grandpa, I remember that you prayed that prayer. Did you mean what you, said, what you said that day? He said, I always mean what I said. I remember everything we prayed and I believe it. I thought, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Here he is being held back from believing these stories. Why? Because the idea that miracles couldn't happen kept him from the truth. You know, the truth is, is that miracles happening today, they are still keeping people from the truth. They still keep people from the truth. But I'm not suggesting to you this morning that the virgin birth should convince you that God exists. But the fact that God exists should convince you that that's completely possible. I mean, if God exists, if He created the first man and woman, It's not really hard for him to do the things that we're reading about right here. Luke goes on to say, and he talks about Joseph and Mary kind of coming to grips with this. Can you imagine what the conversation might have actually been like, how that would have gone down? 
I mean, Mary would have come to Joseph and said, Joseph, sit down. I have good news. It's really funny. I'm going to have a child. I'm going to have a baby. And he's like, well, we're not really uh, together yet, Mary. And like, she's like, I know. It's going to be God. God's going to give me a baby. In fact, there's already one growing inside of me. You can imagine like Joseph hearing that. He's like, what did you say to me? You know, I mean, can you imagine the awkwardness of that conversation? And Joseph's probably thinking, I know, I know what's happened here. You gone and got yourself pregnant. Now you're trying to tell me that it's God's baby. No one's going to believe that. That is insane. It's crazy, except for the fact that an angel showed up and then spoke to him and said, no, it's true. And he said, well, okay. He goes back to Mary and says, Mary, I believe you. She's like, good, happy days. And that's how it got done. You know, the, you know, the thing about, about all of this is Joseph was betrothed to Mary. The only way, do you know to understand that when you're betrothed, actually that, that idea of being betrothed is a 12 month, it happens for at least 12 months. And the only way that you can get out of being betrothed, you know, to the person that you're going to marry is if you get a divorce. I mean, they were so connected and it would have been so hard for them to get divorced and, and this horrible stuff that would have been surrounding that, except for the fact that God could come and, and, and done this incredible, unbelievable thing. There were, there were rumors circulating around that for a couple years and people were asking the question, but the fact is, is that Joseph believed it. You know why? Because he stuck with Mary the whole way through. John, we, so, so what are we talking about? We talked about Matthew, the details guy with all the with all names. And then you looked at uh, Luke and Luke talks about what happened with Mary. And then John, John tells us something that's just out of this world, like literally. And this is what he says. This is how he begins his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then later on in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, that translation is taken from the ESV. It's the English Standard Version. I thought, you know, if you're here today and you're a guest and you're like, I have no idea. The word became flesh. It's like a word. I don't understand what you're talking about. What I thought I'd do is I'd write my own Bible. Is that okay with you today? So I wrote my own Bible and I, I'm, this is the BSV. This is the Ben Standard Version. And so I rewrote it for a few you so that you could understand what I was talking about. And this is, I rewrote it this way. Jesus became human. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And Jesus became human and dwelt amongst us. Now, doesn't that make more sense? Yeah, you think John would have written it the way that I wrote it. I'm not saying I'm better than him, but you can read it. So yeah, you sort of see what I'm saying. But he says this incredible thing that, Jesus became human. The God became human. You know, that word for human or flesh, depending on which translation you prefer, it's probably mine, right? Depending on which translation you prefer, that word is actually means meat. It says God became meat and dwelt amongst us. You know, if you, it means that God has been incarnated. Who's ever had chili con carne? Yeah? Meat? Carne? Meat? Who's a carnivore? Really? Like, okay, all right. No, no judgment here. Um, but try some meat. You'll love it. It says that he became meat. He became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. You know what we call that? We call that Emmanuel. We call that Emmanuel, that God would become flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, all I've told you today is actually how he came. 
That's how he came. Can I tell you something? Oh, because it gets so much better from here. I'm not going to take up too much more of your time, but it gets even better from here. (laughs) What's even more amazing is that every gospel, every gospel records differently kind of how he came. But all of the gospels record the same reason why he came. And actually, every, every, all of the Gospels, they say that when He came, He came to do the same thing every single time. And this is good news. And I want you to know something today, that whatever this good news is, whatever it is, I'm telling you right now, it was so important. Whatever the good news is, it was what people were looking forward to for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And then afterwards, we've been talking about it for thousands of years. We were waiting for thousands of years. We've been talking about it for thousands of years. So right here, whatever that good news is, that is something that is incredibly, incredibly important. And here here it is, because I don't want to delay this any longer. Are you ready for this? Because this is the good news. This is it. That God knows every single person in this room today. And He loves you. And that's good news. He knows every single one of you. I don't care how you got to be here today. I don't care what your lifestyle is like. The truth is, I don't even care if you don't believe in God. There are people here today that don't even believe in God. But can I tell you right now that 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 is no bearing on how he feels about you. Here is the good news. God knows you. He loves you. He knows what you've done. And he can deal with that. He knows what you're doing right now. He knows that tomorrow you're probably going to make a mistake all over again. And in spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, I'm telling you right now that God actually loves you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, I'm not a church person, so I don't really know if that actually, you know, I'm not sure if that applies to me. And maybe, maybe you've had some kind of bad experience in your life. You've had a bad experience with church. If you had a bad experience with church, you probably wouldn't be alone. <laughs> you probably wouldn't be the only one. I'm sure there's many people here who have probably had a bad experience with church in some way, shape or form. Maybe, maybe the thing is, is that maybe in your time, in your life, you actually meant some really judgmental Christian people. And if that was your experience, well, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. If your experience was that you met some judgmental people who came, maybe spoke things to you that weren't true, made you feel condemned. Made you feel condemned. Maybe they started telling you all the things that are wrong in your life. But if that was your experience and you have felt condemned by people that were trying to represent God, but perhaps maybe just didn't do such a good job. I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. You know what I thought we could do today? You, if you've had a bad experience, there's a reason why you actually feel that way. But I thought rather than actually putting words into God's mouth, which can happen sometimes, depending on how many religious people you know, I thought, why don't we just let God speak for Himself? I kind of thought, well, heck, it's Christmas. Why don't we just let God say what He actually wants to say to people? So is that okay with you if I can do that? Because this is what God says. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God came, God gave. Why? He loved the world. 
He doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate the things that, that, that... He probably hates the things that have separated you from Him. But I'm telling you right now, He doesn't, let, he doesn't hate you. And He loves you. Now, a lot of people know this scripture right here. But you know what they don't know? A lot of people don't memorize the next part. And here it is. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. No, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That the world might be saved through Him. He didn't send Jesus to condemn you. He sent Jesus actually to save you. Maybe you've had a bad experience with someone who's tried to represent God. They just did not do a good job of it. I want you to know that God loves you and that God came for you. He saved this world. He's saving the people in it. He's still doing that work today. He saved it, but I want to be even a little bit bold. Can I do that this morning, oh, this afternoon? Angie, your fault. Can I do that this afternoon? Because here's the thing. God came and God loved and God saved. But actually, the truth is, is that God only saves a really specific kind of person. And I know after everything that I've said, you probably think, well, that sounds really exclusive. You probably start to think about, well, hang on, why wouldn't God want me? What about me? What's wrong with me? It says that God only saves a really specific kind of person. I want to tell you about that today. And I thought rather than just tell you, why don't I just show you? It's probably easier if I can do that this, this, this afternoon. And so this is what Jesus does. He's in a conversation and He's speaking to some people. And these Pharisees come, which are the religious leaders. And Luke writes about this. It says that Matthew made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. And this is what they said to Jesus, because he used to hang out with sinners and all kinds of people. Oh, how terrible. And they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And this is what Jesus says. Now, I want you to get the picture in your mind right now. He's inside. He's talking to the people that He's reclining with. He hears the Pharisees. They are outside. They're having a conversation with His disciples. So Jesus speaks loud enough so that everyone can hear Him. And He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The picture that he's giving, he's saying, look, I'm kind of like a doctor. And the people that are well, they don't think that they need me. But the people that are sick, those are the people that actually need me. And when the sick people come to me, I'm going to heal them. But the people who think that they're well, they're never going to come to me. And here is the whole point. All of them were sick. The Pharisees didn't think that they were, but they were all sick. Everyone was sick. But that's my point. My point is, is that Jesus only saves the people that actually come to Him. That exclusivity is actually completely in the hands of the people. And the people that say, you know what, I think maybe I need to come to Jesus. Those are the people that He can help. Those are the people that He actually looks for. You know what, here's what you need to know today. You kind of need to know whether you're sick or whether you're healthy. And the only reason I say that, please, please, the only reason I say that is that you will never fully appreciate the message of Christmas until you know you need Jesus. How could you possibly appreciate what it was about? You might think it's about presents or family or people sleeping on your couch. I don't know, but I'm telling you right now, you would you just cannot appreciate it until you know you need Jesus. 
you might be sitting there today and you're like, oh, I, I hear what you're saying. You're, you're calling me sick. Well, I, I probably wouldn't want to say that because I don't want to offend you. I don't want you to leave here today and you go, oh, I don't know, but that guy, he stood up there and then he called me sick. <laughs> I want you to feel like that. So I tell you what, I'm not going to say it, but I'll let Jesus. I'm just going to agree with Jesus. Jesus is the Emmanuel. He's God wrapped in flesh and He was resurrected from the dead. So I'm going to side with that guy, okay? So here's what He said. He said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He said that no one gets this life perfect. And the truth is you already know this because if I sat down with you and I said to you, hey, is your life perfect? You'd say, no. Hey, do you get everything right all the time? No. Do you sometimes wish you could go back and get a do-over? Yes, but you know you can't. See, the truth is you kind of already know the things that I'm telling you today. You know, one of the things I love most about this passage is that Jesus actually, He's sitting with these tax collectors and these sinners and He says, you're all sick. He calls them sick to their faces and they love Him for it. Do you know why? Because they knew they were loved by Him. And when you know people love you, isn't it true that the people that love you, they, can, they have the most leeway. They can be as honest as they like because at the end of the day, you know you're not being judged by their statement. They're actually saying those things because, well, because they love you. That's why they loved it. Because they knew that they were actually loved by Him. It's Christmas. My kids, my kids are going to dress up as superheroes because that's what they do. I'll be honest, I'll probably join them. I make a very good Green Lantern. I'll tell you that right now. My kids will dress up as superheroes. We love watching cartoons today. Uh, we sat down today and we we're watching this Batman and Superman thing. You know what? My kids, they love superhero stuff. You know why? They're five and they're three and they know that the world isn't perfect. They know and they understand that people need help. The only problem is when the entire world is drowning, who saves them? Can I tell you who he is? He's Emmanuel. It's God. If everyone's drowning, who's going to help them? It's Jesus. That's why He had to come from the outside. We couldn't help ourselves, even if we tried. And believe me, we did for thousands of years, but it never worked. So He said, well, I'm going to make a new agreement with you. I'll come for you because I love you. I'll come for you because I care about you. Here's a scripture for you. Isaiah 43:11 says, this is what God said. He says, I am the Lord and besides me, there is no other Saviour. Besides Him, there is no other Saviour. Some of you, it's your first time in church in a long time. Can I just tell you something today? Christianity is not about morals. It's not about morals. It's not, it's not even about right and wrong. It's not about cultural backgrounds. It's not about any of that stuff. Christmas is actually all about what God has done. It's about what He did for us. That's how we look at it. That's how we know this. So here's what you need to do. If you're a Christian, you're here today. I'm going to finish really soon. I've probably gone over time. I'm so sorry if I did that. But if you're a Christian, you're here today. You just need to be thankful for the fact that you know God. And when we sing in just a moment, you can raise your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. But if you're not a Christian and you're here today, you need to get to know Him because He loves you. And even if you've never thought so, because you had some bad previous experiences, I'm sorry that you had those experiences, but if you listen to what Jesus says, well, He says that He loves you. 
And the reason why you need to do that, the reason why you need to get to know Him is because the truth is everyone needs saving. Everyone. There's no one that's perfect in this room today. Christians, we we don't think that we're better than anyone. We understand better than anyone the fact that we're not. We just believe that God loves us. That's it. And so you hear this afternoon, you just got to know something, that God loves you. That's what Christmas is about. That It's about the gospel. It's about the fact that Jesus came. He loves you and He wants to get to know you. And so my encouragement to you, over this Christmas time, it's going to be a lot of food in. Remember, you're going to put on weight. You can pray, so I'm going to help you. Dear Jesus, take all the carbs out of this bread right now. It's not going to help you. I renounce every fat right now in Jesus' name. May there be no fat that comes upon my buttocks. That's still going to happen. It's not going to help you, right? But here's one thing you can do. This Christmas, I want you to think about the real meaning, the real message. It's not about presents. It's not, about, it's not even about family. So sorry, is it? It's about Jesus. It's about the fact that He loves you. I'm done. We're going to sing together.